Good morning. You obviously saw the video clip earlier this morning of David Phelps coming here in November. Outside of this, David, one of the most incredible voices I've ever heard is David Phelps. And uh, we would love to have you here. There's tickets available out there in the lobby. Make sure you see somebody for that. But it is an incredible, incredible, powerful concert going to be that night. We also are working on a Christmas concert. And uh, once all the details for that get verified, we'll let you know who and when. A lot of other information in your bulletin. Make sure you read it carefully so you don't miss out on one single thing. Uh, if you have any military memorabilia that you would like to have displayed, if you could send me, my email address is on the website. If you could send me a picture of it, don't be offended if I don't use it or can't use it for something that I want to do on Veterans Day. I would appreciate that. Uh, just let me know and we'll give you more details, but I also want to keep it kind of a little bit under wraps as to what exactly we're going to do that day. Pastor friend of mine shared a story one time that he probably got from somebody else. Did you ever wonder where these pastors really do get all their stories? I have a pastor friend who said after a while, most of them are true, right? Well, of course, they're all true, but I'm not sure where we always get them. But this is a guy who's probably somewhere in his second or third midlife crisis. And let's say in the middle of that midlife crisis, he buys this. Just for the sake of argument, he buys a Harley. All right? So he's out on the road, cruising down the road, his uh, gray hair flying in the wind. And as he comes to a particular corner, a guy's car is swerving back and forth. And as he passes the guy, he rolls down the wind and yells out, Hog! And the Harley driver lifts up his visor and says, Me? You're the road hog. And he keeps riding down the road till all of a sudden he runs right into a pig. <laughs> and what he realizes after he picks himself up is that the guy wasn't yelling at him. He was warning him. But it's not what he thought. He said the guy didn't want to hurt him. He wanted to help him. He just wanted to allow him to look at his circumstances in a little bit of a different way. We're in Philippians chapter 2 this morning, and as you read it, you're going to wonder, why did he tell that story? It was too good not to tell, I get it. <laughs> Paul was writing to one of his favorite churches, and this section of Scripture that we're going to be in this morning is one of the most quoted and one of the most powerful sections in all of Philippians. And Paul is trying to take these people who the world has been shaping them one way to get them to look at life, love, relationships, and the family of God in an entirely different way than what they're used to looking at. And he not only tries to help shape them in their thinking, which for many of them is a new way of thinking and a new way of living, he's trying to help them understand what that looks like on a practical level for something they had heard about just a few years prior to his writing, and that is the death of Jesus on the cross and the resurrection of Christ and the implications of that. He writes in Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn there. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then would you make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and in purpose. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility 
consider others better than yourselves. Everything that he just said is a new way of thinking. It's not about you. It's not about us. It's not about me. It's about other people. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Every one of you should not only look out to his own interest, which is fine to take care of yourself, not only for your own interest, but also for the interests of others. Your attitude, believers, followers of Christ, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, this was God come down. We sang it this morning. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and that God came, John chapter 1, and made his dwelling among us. Who in the beginning, by his very nature, was God, didn't consider equality with God something to be held on to so tightly or grasped. But he made himself nothing, emptied himself completely, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Not just death, but even death on the cross, which is one of the most horrible deaths anyone can imagine. In light of that, God highly exalted him to the highest place and gave him a name above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every single tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. These words, you have sermon notes in your Bible this morning, these words go counterculture to the way most of us think, not all of us, but at least how the world tells us we ought to think. The world basically says, look out for yourself. Look out for number one. Take care of yourself. Pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. Some things are priceless. For everything else, there's MasterCard. You deserve it. Go out and buy it. Even in the Declaration of Independence, says this. We hold these truths to be self-evident. That all men are created equal, and they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. And among those rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we've been doing it ever since. From the moment of birth, we want our needs met. It's natural. We cry for someone to feed us and someone to change us. We fight for our toys. The most often used phrase or word by little kids when someone comes near their stuff is what? Mine. And what begins as survival, if we're not careful, quickly becomes a normal expression of the fallen nature. We go after the best-paying jobs. We fight for more money, more benefits. None of that's wrong in and of itself, but when it's all about what we get instead of what's better for the overall, we feel that our company has to be number one. You want to do your best. You really want to make sure you do your best. But I want to be really honest. You don't have to be number one. But Amazon thinks so, and Walmart thinks so, and so they compete with one another with who's going to be the best and who has the highest sales and who's number one. Nothing wrong with doing our best, but we sometimes trip over into we've got to be better than everybody else. And if we're not careful on a grand scale, even all the way back to the history of humanity, that desire to dominate overrides a simple need to explore. And a part of our history becomes people like Alexander the Great and Caesar and hundreds of others like them who in just simply the need to explore wanted more and wanted it all. The incarnation of Christ in your sermon notes and the writings of Paul and the words of Jesus go absolutely against human nature. Paul and Jesus say the pathway to greatness through humility. 
The key to leadership? Servanthood. The way to get to the top is through humility, not aggression and climbing over people. The secret to finding life, one of those incredible statements, the secret to finding life is to what? Lose it. The secret to standing tall? Fall down on your knees. The essence of this morning's text goes completely against how we normally think and how the world normally tells us to think. The first few verses in Philippians chapter 2 are some of the most incredible and some of the most powerful and often some of the most quoted. I was in quizzing in Youth for Christ and YFC and Campus Life when I was in high school and also in, in my early years in the Alliance Church. And in quizzing, they would have three different teams up on a platform, and you had seats that you sat on. And on those seats was a, a little buzzer, and three teams were competing against one another, and the master, the quiz master, would give you a phrase, sometimes just a snippet of a word, and you would have to stand up and beat everybody else on that, so your light's the only one that came on first, and you had to quote what you thought he was going to read. So he would just simply say, think, and you would have to know that that's Philippians 4 eight. think on these things. And he would only get out a phrase, and you had to respond to that. We had to memorize the entire book of Philippians. Now, the interesting thing is I memorized it in King James. So when I quote it now, everything comes out of King James. Nothing wrong with that at all. But when you look at this section of Scripture, you realize that it's so often quoted and sometimes very difficult to live out. And what Paul is saying is, I, I I'm not trying to put a lot of pressure on you. I just want to help you understand now because of what you found in Christ it's going to go a little bit different than what the world may tell you and what you inside may think about. And that it's all about me and where I go and what I get out of this life. Verse 1, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. If you found now that you're a follower of Christ and you found strength and encouragement from that, the word is associated with the Greek word paraclete, which means to come alongside. If you've ever had any comfort from Jesus, if you've gone through difficult times and you felt that Christ helped you through that, and you found that in your relationship with Jesus, you found the strength you needed to go through that difficult time, if you have found that, would you pass that along? If you have found strength in walking through deep waters with Jesus, would you pass that on to somebody else? Because they need to know that. Because right now they're not finding it from a lot of other people. And they need to know that what you have found in Christ, you can pass along to them. Be same-minded, be like-minded, having the same love. The phrase consolation of love, or in some translations, it just simply means tenderness and gentle cheering. If you have found strength and confidence in Christ, you have found the depths of the love that you find from him, I encourage you to take that and just give that away. Give that to somebody else. It's a picture of someone lovingly coming up to you and saying, you are doing great. I just want you to know, you're doing great. Keep it up. You're really understanding what I believe in you. You may not even believe in yourself. I just want you to know that I believe in you. It's going to one of your kids and saying, I just need you to know that I love having you as my son. I love having you as my daughter. I, I just want you to know that. You, you mean a lot to me, and I, I just want you to know that. It's going to a friend and say, I just need you to know that you, our friendship means the world to me. 
It's going to a friend to say, I just want you to know how much I enjoy our relationship. How much I enjoy our friendship. And, and, and maybe I've told you that before, maybe not, but I, I just want you to know how much. What I have found in my relationship with Jesus and now our relationship in the body of Christ, I just want you to know how much I enjoy the friendship that I've found with you. I hope at some point in your journey with Jesus, you've had Jesus whisper to you like sometimes he whispers to me and said, Dan, I love having you as my son and not when the lights are on or you're on the stage. I love having you as my son on a quiet Saturday morning when it's just you and me. If you have ever found that or if you've ever felt that, Paul said, man, I'd just love for you to pass that along to somebody else. The phrase fellowship of the spirit means a partnership with God. Incredible concept that the God of the universe would dwell in us. Paul declared Christ in me. Christ in me? Almost when he says it, he's, he's overwhelmed with the fact that the God of the universe would dwell in him. I was killing Christians for heaven's sakes. I was pursuing them. I was dragging them out of their homes and throwing them in jail. And, and that God knocked me off my high horse and rescued me and redeemed me. Now, Jesus in me. I, I know you probably know this, but don't you find it amazing that the God of the universe so loved us that he sent his son to die for us, that he gave us his spirit to walk with us and his word to guide us? Is that not incredible? Now, the progression of that, God so loved this world that he gave us his son. The, spirit said, I, the son said, I can't stay here forever, but I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send you my spirit. And so he does. And then the spirit says, I don't want you to try to figure out this Christian life on your own. So I'm going to instill in this individual of Paul and John and Peter and James and others like it, my word, God's word. And I'm going to help you live out this Christian life so you're not trying to figure it out on your own. The God of the universe so loved us, sent his son to die for us, sent his spirit to walk with us, and his word to guide us. It's unbelievable when you really stop and think about it. If you found any affection or compassion, written from the context of an unbelievably deep, deep down in your soul kind of love. And then he says, if you found any of that, Fellowship with one another, love from the Spirit of God. If you found the love from people who have walked to you and said, I just want you to know how much I love you. If God has ever said that to you, if anybody has said how valuable you are, if you have found comfort from the love of God, then I'm asking you to take any of those things or if you found all of those things and then make my joy complete, verse 2, by being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Paul is not saying to them, it's up to them to make him happy. It's in your notes. He's saying, when I see your love toward one another, that you really do consider others beyond yourselves, that you're not just looking out for your own interests, but you're also looking for the interests of other people, then it brings me joy. As a spiritual father, it brings me joy. A couple of weeks ago, we hosted a district conference. 140, 135 churches here are all over from pastors from all over western PA and and we served them we did a lot of things for those three days we had a conference in here and and when it was all said and done I sent a note to the staff saying you have no idea what a proud papa you make me and I know there's a better way to say that but sometimes that's what I feel now at this stage in my life and I'm at the sage stage which is a really nice way of saying I'm the old guy 
I love how we make it sound so, I'm, I'm a sage. No, you're the old guy on staff. But I, I love, and I'm, you get to those moments where, where Paul said, I just want you to know, it just makes me happy. When I see what you do and that you really love, it's like saying to your kids, I'm just so proud of you. You're living up to your potential, you're sharing, you're caring. I just want you to know how delighted I am. And when you see that in your child, it just makes you as a parent happy and proud. Paul has the exact same thought in mind when he said, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but consider others better than yourselves. Do whatever you can to not only look out for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Selfish ambition or vain conceit literally refers to what, doing whatever you want because your way is the only way of doing it. Your way is always right, always have to win, always have to be in control. Now, it has nothing to do with any of you here in the audience this morning, but i got to believe you know somebody like that. <laughs> right? Who, they always have to be right, they always have to have the last word, and their way is the only way of doing things. Happens with people all the time, in business and in families, happens in marriages. Happens every once in a while, even within a church. It is amazing to me, and I said it a couple of weeks ago, the things that churches divide over, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God says, I just want to give you the gifts. Here they are, 30 of them. Here they are. You want to live out this Christian life? I'm going to give you every gift I can imagine. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. So here they are. But we argue over who gets what gift and whether all the gifts are really legitimate for the day. Is really healing for the day? Is speaking in tongues for today? Is words of knowledge for today? We argue over those things, not we. People out there in other churches do that. And we really don't. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm being facetious. Anytime I say anything about, I really get so little, I don't get a lot of feedback one way or the other, but, you know, somebody said to me, it must be tough with all the negative stuff you get. I really don't get a lot. And, and I'm, okay, I, I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm really okay with that. But it is amazing how when you look at the church universal, they argue over the gifts of the Spirit, the use of the gifts of the Spirit, worship, adoration, programs, policies, facilities, use of facilities, kinds of facilities, which causes to support. How can you not support my cause? It changes the world. Well, I'm also doing these other six. Yeah, but mine's more important than those. I'm really making, they all, and, and it's fascinating. Some of the essentials in the church are God is our creator, salvation through Christ alone, the authority of Scripture, just to mention a few. But beyond that, we've got to guard making style and preferences absolutes. Paul said, don't do that. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or making sure that your way is the one that's heard. Instead, do this in your notes. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but also the interests of others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, theologian years gone by, incredibly gifted. In a book called Life Together, he gives seven principles for eradicating selfish ambition from Christian communities. He says this, Christians ought to hold their tongues. They ought to refuse to speak uncharitably about a Christian brother. The great theologian Thumper said in Bambi, if you can't say something nice, don't say something at all. What? Cultivate the humility that comes from understanding that we're all sinners saved by God's amazing grace. Listen long and patiently so that you understand the individual's needs. Refuse to consider your time and your calling so valuable that you can't be interrupted to help with unexpected needs no matter how small or menial. 
Bear the burdens of your brothers and sisters in Christ by offering grace and forgiveness. Declare God's word to your fellow believers when they need to hear it, but make sure that you speak the truth in love. And understand that Christian authority is characterized by service and never calls attention to the person doing the service. Paul doesn't imagine that this church is a group of robots in your notes, but instead he sees them as a group of individuals, despite all those unbelievable differences, who are willing to share love with one another by putting the well-being of other people first. doesn't mean that we don't speak the truth, but we always do it in love. And it means having the humility to admit when you're wrong or to say, I'm sorry. Do you ever go to your kids when you know you responded negatively or the way you shouldn't have responded and then every once in a while, say to your children, I- I'm really sorry, I-, I messed that up. And to see the absolute stun that comes across their face when their parents are saying, because they're used to saying, I'm sorry, all the time. But when they see their parents come to them and say, you know what, I really messed that up. I shouldn't have responded that way. I'm really sorry. They're stunned because to them, it's not natural. And Paul's saying, I just want you to understand that. Not that I want you to be a doormat. Tell you what, let me give you an example. If you're trying to figure it all, let me give you an example. Jesus, who being in very nature was God, didn't hold that on so tightly that he couldn't let it go, and he literally gave it all up. Would you leave the splendor of heaven and come here to do what he did that you read about in the Gospels? Heaven. Even if you've never been there, you've got to imagine that it's incredible. And by the way, I'm God. It's not just about being in heaven. I'm God. And I gave all that up to come here and be with you. I, I just want you to know, who, who took on the very nature of a servant. Not just a man, not just an individual, but the very nature of a servant. I mean, he couldn't gone to more extremes. Found appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Based on all of that, in this incredible model we have of Jesus, he said, then I want you to don't do anything out of selfish ambition or consider others better than yourself. And he knows that's not the normal way to think. He knows it doesn't come naturally. It goes against everything we're taught. If you don't look out for yourself, you'll get trampled upon. Life is about competition and winning at all costs. And Paul gives him this unbelievable example. Fail to do this, though, he knows that the family of God is going to end up fighting amongst themselves, and all the enemy has to do is sit back and laugh. In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us a description of the battle that takes place with the enemy. He said, I want you to know, you've got an enemy. It's not just life itself or the world. You've got an enemy, Satan, who com- controls the principalities and powers of the air. Man, he's out to destroy you. And so then he gives us an an, an incredible description of some of the weapons that we have at our disposal. Prayer and all the things that go with that. The word of God. And he gives us a description of the armor of God. The belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness. Solid shoes. Great faith. That shield of faith. The helmet of salvation. And the sword of the spirit. All weapons that God gives us to fight the enemy. But did you notice something missing in that description? You know what it is? There's nothing for the back. The belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, solid shoes, shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit, nothing for the back. Ever wonder why? 
Because the body of Christ is supposed to protect one another, so you have my back. I don't have to worry about this. You're there. And you're there, and you're there, and you're there, and we have one another's back. That's why he says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Whatever happens in this battle, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the body of Christ. Of all the things that Jesus could have prayed for the night before he went to the cross and suffered the beatings and the scourging and all the things that went with that, he prayed for unity. Of all the things that he could have prayed for, he says, God, they're going to be pulled in so many different directions with so many people telling them this and the world's going to tell them that. I just want them to stand strong and take it. When Paul describes the upper room setting, we celebrate it every month here at Community Alliance Church. We celebrate communion. And it's a reminder of what Jesus did for us on a cross. And, and we normally quote, I normally quote, whatever pastor you may have heard, normally quotes out of Corinthians. And it's Paul describing the upper room experience. Now Matthew, Mark, and Luke do as well, but it's now Paul describing what he sees. What's fascinating to me when Paul defines and describes this event, when the Lord Jesus, the night he was betrayed, took bread and broke it, passed it out and said, this is where you're going to get life. And then he took the cup and he said, this is where you'll find forgiveness. He wrote it to a church that was doing the exact opposite of this. He wrote it to the Corinthian church who was fighting and bickering and fussing and clamoring for their rights, shoving over each one another, not caring whether all the needs of somebody else was met as long as theirs were. And so he decides of all the things to write, and I don't think he's sitting down saying this is going to be preserved for humanity and every single pastor for the next 2,020 years is going to be sharing what I'm about to write here in Corinthians. But he's saying to you guys, I just want you to know it's not what you find in Jesus. What you're fussing about, what you're arguing over is not what you found in Jesus. Because this Jesus that he describes here in this section of Scripture in Philippians, the very single night he was betrayed, which is an unbelievable concept when you think about it, took the bread and the cup and passed it out to his disciples, one of whom would betray him, another of whom would deny him, and the rest would abandon him. One who would betray him, one who would deny him, and the rest who would abandon him. And he said, I, I'm going to give you everything. I'm going to offer it to you. And he writes to that church and tries to help them understand that we need to lay down our self-centeredness, be honest about what he teaches us, and recognize that the world doesn't revolve around us whether that be older people, younger people, middle-aged people, old-time attenders or pastors, he speaks to all of us and said, I need you to understand the world does not revolve around you. This way of thinking doesn't come natural. It only happens when we fully submit ourselves to Christ and surrender completely to him. If you've ever had, verse 1, any comfort of being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any encouragement from being united with him, any fellowship in the spirit, if you found tenderness and compassion from Jesus, I'm just asking you to pass that along. Especially within the body of Christ. Because they got enough problems facing the world around them, they want to know that the people they worship with, fellowship with, and serve with have their back and are there for them. This section of scripture is just a reminder as we celebrate communion 
to set ourselves down and lift him up. Because what's fascinating about this section in, in Philippians is that it says, then God highly exalted him. By his willingness to do that, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. And there's going to come a day when every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Which is why he says later, and Peter says the same, set yourself down and let God lift you up. Because he will. Father, in these moments together as we celebrate communion, we hold these emblems in our hand that remind us of your unbelievable sacrifice and love and grace. I trust that what we have found in Jesus, we are willing to pass along. As we hold these elements in our hand and we look how unbelievably selfless you were. To give this to us, even when while we were still sinning, you died for us. Thank you for the model that you set. Thank you for the model that you gave. Thank you for this opportunity to hold these emblems in our hand that remind us of all of that. Speak to us now in these next few moments as we set ourselves aside and down and kneel at the foot of the cross and let you speak to us. Because in your due time, you will lift us up. This morning, as you have seen before, if you've been here, if you're not familiar with us, the communion stores are going to come. They're all over this campus. There are people who serve us, and I'm going to ask you to come down now. In that tray is the bread in the middle and a cup around it. Just take both at the same time. Help your neighbor beside you if you've not been there before. Behind you, I'll lead you in a moment in taking the communion so you hold on to it. Just spend some time with Jesus. And then as you do that, I'll come back up and lead you into taking of it. And then I'll tell you what to do with the cups. They're right in front of you somewhere to set those aside. Spend some time with Jesus. Kind of lay everything down at his feet while we recognize what he laid down for us.
interesting thing. When you've been in a church for as long as I have been, you've now had the opportunity to watch some sons who grew up here now serving as communion. It's awesome to see. One of the reasons that we tarry for so long, if you've not been here before, and maybe if you've been here before and not always sure why, not only is it an opportunity to give everyone an opportunity to be served and for them to give enough time for them to serve, Paul said, before you do these two things, before you eat the bread, drink the cup, you really need to look inside and to make sure you've got everything clean and clear between me and maybe afterwards between you and someone else. If you don't, I, I'll, I'll deal with that. So I want to give you the chance to do it. And so he says, always tarry before you eat the bread and drink the cup. And then share, partake, and live it out. Father, your word is so rich and so pure. Not always easy to live. Not always easy to live out, to demonstrate, but I thank you for the models you've given us. Forgive me when I fail to not have the back of my teammates or the people in our church family and continue to give us the strength and the passion to live this out because we really will go counterculture to what the world sees and they'll look at us and wonder what makes us so different and it gives us a chance to share what Jesus has done for us that we now want to pass on to other people. Help us to be the kind of people that live this out. In the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Love you. Thank you so much for being here today. Pray for you in any way. Love to do that. There is a place in front of you to put your communion cup everywhere from the front seats down.